0: Welcome back once again to the Coffee and Heroes podcast as we come to you fresh with some brand new material and our continued commitment to catching up on our our favourite comics from the last couple of months. We've we've been doing little shows here and there, trying to catch up with honourable mentions, picks of the week, that kind of thing. We do apologise, we've fallen quite far behind, but we've come up with a good solution and we're going to make sure we're as bang up the date as possible over the next week or two. So, your host, as always, well Alan, the owner of Coffee and Heroes in Belfast, and joined again this evening by Keith. Good evening, and how are you, sir?
1: I am good, a little tired. It has been a hell of a few weeks, uh, sort of work and, and, and life generally. Um, Suppose uh, we had uh, we had output conference, which is a Northern Ireland's big music conference uh, here in Belfast uh, last week, and the, the people I work for were supporting it. I was involved in it, um, you know, and uh, it ended with uh, some great showcase gigs of some of the finest Northern Irish talent. Um, got to see Steve Coogan as Mr. Alan Partridge last Friday, which was absolutely brilliant. First time I've seen him live. And then another round of, uh, of of gigs on saturday night in the OEM music center it was a, a U- ukraine appeal gig uh, raising money for uh, for a polish charity that's supporting uh, ukrainian refugees that are coming into to poland and again some of the northern irish finest artists including sister ghost Joshua burnside the fantastic wood and savage is doing an acoustic set and uh, the venerable duke special on stage so very, very good, but kind of, kind of tired. Kind of tired. Um, we've got a long weekend this weekend, and I am going to make full use of it.
0: Well, this is. it. I mean, you being that social butterfly and going to all these gigs again. I mean, it's almost like the pre, you know, pandemic times.
1: Mm, Things are certainly opening up. Um, I've, uh, I've had uh, like three or four days of gigs, sort of most weeks. Uh, so just sort of making the most of it. Uh, for sure. So we'll have to get you out to. To a gig for some live music as soon as things settle down a little for yourself. What about you, House Tricks?
0: Yeah, 100%. We're all good. We've been plugging away. I mean, obviously, personally, you know, impending fatherhood is on its way a few months Whoop. just to go. Everything, you know, knock on wood has been going very, very smoothly so far. So we're we're very, very grateful for that. And, you know, we've had loads of support from guys in the store and, and everything else. So obviously big life changes coming up there. Store-wise, everything's ticking over nicely, nice and busy. We're recording this at the end of April. So we're getting ready for free comic book day, which is coming the first Saturday in May. Some big, big stuff uh, coming for that. You know, big titles from Marvel, DC, lots of indie companies. Keep an eye on the social media profiles. We'll definitely put out more information on that. There'll be in-store promotions on the day. And when I say we ordered a lot of the free comics, I mean we ordered a lot of the free comics. Like hundreds and hundreds of them. I think I have five long boxes full of them, so suffice to say there will be plenty of choice on the day so keep an eye out for that
1: and uh you mentioned uh you
0: mentioned an impending birth but there's another birthday just around right the corner isn't that right there is indeed yeah the store believe it or not is going to be five years old on the first of june it uh geez it's flown by to say the <laughs> least i mean it's ah. it's it survived the pandemic it survived two store moves it survived flooding in the store in the in the second unit it's been a bumpy ride, but a lot of fun and a lot of friendships made along the way and a lot of a lot of smiles on faces in the stores. So, yeah, 5th anniversary, we wanted to do something special for it. So, we have a, a guest signing, which, you know, is 100% confirmed and we're advertising now. We have the, the one and only Ram V coming for an in-store signing on the 11th of June. It's a Saturday, so it'll be a similar setup to the Declan Shelby signing, 2 o'clock, 5 o'clock you know bring your own comics to get signed we'll have tons of stuff available in the day as well of course to pick up and it is a completely free signing and you know we we had the pleasure with ram he was one of the first to uh during lockdown period to sit and chat with us and give up Mm -hmm. his time so graciously and what a thoroughly interesting and intelligent guy really looking forward to this uh to this signing
1: yeah i mean he really i mean i mean a, a pure intellect and creative like he really was was fantastic to chat to um the author of many, uh, the many deaths of Lila Starr, currently on Swamp Thing, uh, co-author on Venom, on Carnage. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing some other bits and pieces there, but uh, but yeah, very. You know, he, he's he's just really really busy, and you can you can always tell a Ram V story because you know there's so much going on. There's a lot of a lot of heart and exploration of the human condition, and uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to to sitting down and getting a getting a chat with him
0: yeah he's got a really great authorial voice, as you say you can i think there was was there a uh, an anthology one that we were we were reviewing at one point and I think you said about three pages into it you're like, yep that's a ram v story.
1: it was the green in a year spectacular mm-hmm. uh the, and the the uh, the story was kind of from the point of view of the arrow. yeah uh, and I went oh that's a ram v story just <laughs> an interest and an interest and point of view you know f- for the story you know a character point of view so yeah. Great stuff. Um, and of course you can, you can, uh, go back list a little on our, on our podcast, um, stream, uh, on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and you'll be able to find that Ram V interview. If you want to have another re-listen ahead of, uh, meeting the great man in store.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's great as well. The, the wiki comes over the 11th, just a few days prior to that. Uh, dc launch Aquaman Andromeda, which is uh, mm. Ram V writing that. And, of course, Christian Ward on R2. We also had the pleasure of chatting to recently. Thoroughly, thoroughly great guy. Uh, so there'll be the new title there. And then, of course, he's been announced as the upcoming writer to take over Detective Comics as well. So Ram's already a very, very established writer, but his star seems to be on the rise on top of that as well. And, and he's one of those guys. There's not a lot of them, but he's one of those guys who's able to work on top titles at DC and Marvel and still produce great uh, great indie work as well. So, yeah, keep keep that date open if you can, guys. It, it's going to be a great day, 11th of June, uh, 2 o'clock to 5 o'clock. And
1: uh, just when you're mentioning uh, Christian Ward, who uh, is, is the uh, penciler on uh, Aquaman Andromeda, um, just this week, uh, this week being uh, the, the week of the new comic book day of the 27th of April, Christian's new book, Bloodstained Teeth, is in store. Uh he's been pushing really hard on it. He talked to us a lot about it uh, whenever we interviewed him interviewed him a few weeks back. So uh if yeah you, you haven't already got your copy on your pull list or reserved it, I would get in store and pick one up. I know you have a fair few in stock, don't you?
0: Yeah, I ordered big on it. I always order big on any creator that's good enough to give up their time for us. You know, I, I you know it's always easy to push their work when you've chatted to them. They're great guys, they're talented and you know I, I ordered big on that book so plenty of copies and i read it myself this morning as well and it's every bit as stylish and fun as i thought it would be so i haven't had the chance yet so i will say no more i will say no more but but yeah before we jump into the reviews as well we we both realized a little maybe late in the day this being the 27th of april as keith says we both realized a little late in the day that dr <laughs> strange and the multiverse of madness is one week away this is what happens when you don't watch trailers which we don't Towards that. as a release gets closer, you sort of forget when it's coming out. And a customer mentioned it to me today, and went, "Oh yeah, so we really must get on the booking tickets." Well, looking forward to that immensely. You know, it's yeah. it's going to obviously kick off the next big stage of the MCU. Obviously, Doctor Strange had a very prominent role in Spider Man: No Way Home, which we enjoyed so much. And it looks to be introducing some new characters as well. You know, America Chavez bringing in Scarlet Witch and all sorts. of ver- and of course, most importantly bringing sam raimi the man who arguably kick-started the mcu all those years ago unknowingly maybe maybe he was just making standalone movies but very much unknowingly <laughs> and he's uh, he's back in the director's chair for dr strange and the multiverse yeah. of madness so looking forward to that
1: thanks dad thanks stand. but yeah it was funny that, 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 that neither of us realized until today it's until it's like next week. i think someone posted about it on facebook and i happened to check facebook and i was like oh oh okay right
0: I promise we are professionals who love everything comic related. But yeah, we're, our focus is going to be on the comics, so away from movies and onto comics. I'm sure there will be a Doctor Strange review incoming though. Uh, we should probably sit down and do a wee Batman one at some point as well, but mm. you know, maybe when it gets a physical release on uh, Blu-ray, we'll maybe do a wee retrospective on that, but we'll definitely kick out a, a Doctor Strange one, I would say, and let you know our thoughts. But yeah, today is going to be focusing on the comic side of things. And as I was saying in the intro, we'd fallen quite far behind... Different things, you know, Keith moving into a new house, busy work schedule, the store being busy, impending fatherhood, getting ready for that, all, all sorts of things. But we're we're fully committed to the pod. We love doing this. We love just hanging out, chatting comics and reminiscing about what the great stuff has been from the past the past while. So what we're going to do is we have podcasts prior to this one on the, the podcast stream detailing everything up to the 9th of February. So what we're going to do today is we're just going to do picks of the week. For the next five weeks following that, so we're going to follow. We're going to cover the 16th of February, the 23rd of February, the 2nd of March, the 9th of March, and the 16th of March. And we've been strict with ourselves on the format here. We're just doing a pick of the week for each week. We know what we're like. We discussed doing a list of oh, but this was good and this was good. We'll end up adding another two hours to this podcast because <laughs> we know what we're like. So we're uh, just um, going to focus on the picks. Uh,
1: and that, that's the point. That's the point. We 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 love you know, our weekly releases so much we wanna talk about we wanna talk about all of them. But, you know, in doing that we're we're getting further and further behind the release week that we wanna talk about, regardless of how much we push to 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 catch up. So we literally we're we're just gonna have to yeah, we just had to be strict with ourselves just to just to push ahead and get caught up and and not make it a grind for anybody.
0: No, definitely. But what's great about the titles we'll be talking about covering these five weeks, some of them are some of the picks are series that have come to an end, so we'll be hitting trades soon. Some of them are number ones for series, still pretty much in their infancy, so you should still be able to go back and and get the number ones if they do sound like they appeal to you, and then we can get you caught up on it in store and so forth. So, as I say, we're going to kick things off with the sixteenth of February. We will still, you know, read out our totals just so you know how many titles we're reading. Uh, and this week looks to be a dead heat. So sixteenth of February, I had 23 titles in total nine of those were dc i have five marvel titles and nine indie titles and uh and your own t- and your own tools as you
1: say dead heat 23 titles for me uh i had six dc nine marvel and eight indie. so we're only like a, an issue apart uh really on on any of those uh any of those subtip- subtotals there
0: Well, it's great to see as we do our picks of the week from this week that we're kicking things off in this pod by reverting to our stereotypes. So for me, it's a DC pick. It's written by Tom Keane. How much more you know predictable can I get? But it's not a Batman by Tom King. No, my pick of the week from this week was Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, number eight. So as I say, written by Tom King and art by the always brilliant Bill Evely, So, you know, it's it's certainly not the first time we've mentioned this epic series. We may have mentioned every single issue to now, but it will sadly be the last as as Tom King and Bill Quayevoli's for me already iconic take on Supergirl reaches its conclusion. I mean, I say it's the last time we mentioned it until the collected edition hit and the hype train begins all over again and a, yeah. and a book club comes along perhaps. But we can't say it enough if we haven't already. This really is an outstanding series and for me, it completely nails the landing. So coming into issue eight, our two protagonists are separated with Kara fighting amongst the stars and Ruth left alone on a beach with the man who killed her father. So she holds his fate in her hands. This is the man who took everything from her and who set her off in this whole adventure. You know, can she find it within herself to take a life? Does it make her any better than the killer himself? You know, Keane deals with these questions in a really interesting and thoughtful way, just as he very much has done throughout the series. I mean, anyone who knows me or listens to the podcast, you know, they, they know I'm a fully paid up member of the Cult of Keen and and this series has been among his best written work, you know, from the characterization of Karen Ruth, to the world building, to the Obstacles our heroes face and everything in between the the series has always been exciting yet thoughtful and contemplative as well. And even just the setup of the series, I think having it from Ruth's perspective the whole way through was a brilliant move, as it allows us to see Kara through someone else's eyes, as opposed to just having our hero as the main character. You know it. It almost means you can elevate the hero even higher on a pedestal as a result, because this is how a hero is seen through the the eyes of an ordinary person. You know, there's there's layers to King's writing, as always, you know, his exploration of the themes of heroism, revenge and morality elevate the book beyond just your traditional superhero fare. But for all my love of Tom Keane, it would be completely remiss to put any less than half the credit for how good this title is at the feet of Bill Quay Evelie, whose art has been jaw-dropping the whole way through this series, you know. This is the kind of artwork I think you show to someone unfamiliar with comics, just to demonstrate how incredible comics can be. You know the characters, the backgrounds, the creatures, the varying weather and conditions, the mood established, the world building—it all just clicks. And you know, Keane has, of course, established himself as one of the top writers in the industry, and and as such, he's able to almost cherry pick his artists. You know, he's already produced amazing creative partnerships with you know Clay Mann, Mitch Gerads, Jorge Fornes, G H. Walta. Doc more, and more and, and Evely's work sits proudly beside every single one of them so yeah the series it had all the right notes I thought in its finale and it's it's both surprising and emotionally satisfying and, and a little bit of humour thrown in towards the end as well so yeah in case you didn't know by now we rather like this book
1: Yeah this this was a fantastic finale to just one of the best series uh, of, of this year I mean well this year and last year I guess because it, it crossed that 2021-2022 that boundary um, but yeah, it was just exactly as you said. I mean, we've we've talked about nearly every issue of it. I think if not every issue of it, uh, it just rose to the top every month, uh, and the the end didn't disappoint. In my eyes, Tom King's best, and that uh, that's that says a lot. Whenever you look at uh, what else he's put out there.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. So so yeah, so that's my pick of the week for sixteenth of February. That was a series closing with Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow at number eight. But your pick of the week is at the opposite end of the scale and it is uh, a new beginning. A new beginning and also a Marvel book, as you said, true to type.
1: Uh, I've got Iron Fist number one. Um Iron Fist uh is is has been a favourite character of mine. Uh, and was the product of the, the martial arts craze of the 70s, uh, same as, you know, so many great movies, and and uh, you know, Shang-Chi, and, and the Master of Kung Fu, and all of that sort of stuff. But in recent years, I guess Iron Fist has come under a wee bit of scrutiny for the, for the white saviour tropes that it sort of seems to exhibit, and for almost always having a predominantly white creative team. But now with Asian American writer and artist at the helm and with a new Asian lead stepping into the role of the iron fist the book is setting out to course correct uh, some of these wider problematic issues and I guess being a stereotype that was a product was time and no longer palatable in those terms it's not the fault of the product you know so it's it's heartening that Danny Rand a character who uh, I've learned to love in the role is still in the pages of the book here and writer Alyssa Wong shows no interest in rewriting the history of Iron Fist, despite all the potentially thorny moments that that come along with it. And it would it would certainly make it a lot easier to read if you were a previous fan of the character. You know, having Danny there, and Danny shows he shows an interest in our new Iron Fist character and seeks to help him, even if that character has very little interest in accepting the help from the original. Well, not the original Iron Fist, but from the the preceding Iron Fist. Um, the story picks up after. Danny gave up his powers to save the world in the Larry Hama penned Iron Fist mini last year. And, you know, the warriors of the warriors of Kion which is the the city that Iron Fist is is drawn from, they train for the inevitable awakening of the dragon Shao Lao and the anointing of a new Iron Fist. Unfortunately, there's no sign at this stage of the book of that immortal dragon being ready to awaken or is there? You know, in the present, Danny continues to fight the good fight in New York using his his skills without his powers to fight monsters that have invaded the city. And after holding down his own and and, and one of those fights, he finds himself getting a last minute save from a mysterious warrior that is the new Iron Fist. Um, By the end of the story, we know who the new Iron Fist is, how they got their power, who the big bad is. And it works. It works really, really well. Because obviously, whenever you're replacing a much loved character for very good reasons with another, you know it can set up a wee bit of of defence in that in the heart of 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 an Iron Fist fan like myself. Um, but you know it it works really well, and why it works is that it doesn't feel so much as as a new sort of derivative character out of the blue. Instead, this new Iron Fist is a character that we already know and who spins out of another fairly recent comic. In other words, it's a continuation of a story that's been going on elsewhere, uh, the latest chapter of that story instead of a brand new one. And that was really unexpected, very welcome. And while I read some of the earlier adventures of this new Iron Fist as recently as King in Black, uh, you know, I definitely wasn't completely well acquainted with them. Um, The character in question is Lin Lee, he was once swordmaster and also someone who has no idea what he's doing with this new power. In the story, we find out exactly how he got his powers, the nature of the powers, uh, you know, and it actually derives from the shards of what's left of of his his previous sword. So it's 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 kind of an interesting story. Um, in the book, there's some really solid fight scenes, uh, really really enhanced by Michael Yeag's fantastic art. Uh, makes he makes the panels really lively, beautifully detailed, great action, great energy. Um, but there's a the whole thing has a has a real levity about it that sort of just makes you smile and, and, and relax and, and his art aids that as well. So you know Iron Fist One I thought was a great debut, honors the old and the new, you know it it it, it doesn't ignore those 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 thorny issues that have meant you know, the, the book has creatively had to go in that direction or needed to go in that direction to be respectful. It doesn't feel like the, you know, the classic Iron Fist has been shuffled out the door. Instead, it feels like a blend of the two, but more importantly, the continuation of two ongoing series, Danny Rands, as well as the new Iron Fist, uh, Lin Lee, the former Swordmaster. And by doing that, we get, you know, we double up on the fun. Um, there's a nice opportunity to do some really interesting things, both for new, you know, uh, for 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 both the old and the new characters, and you know, complete that with the the stunning the stunning art and and a really strong authorial voice, and uh, you've just you've just got a really really solid number one, uh, and I'm looking forward to to what comes next. Did you pick this up?
0: Wasn't one that I was on. You know, I I tend to read Iron Fist stuff in sort of trade format. Mm. I would say more. I know this is a five issue mini series, but it sounds like it toes the line really well, as you say it. it it can be a thorny thing in comics. People are very protect protective of characters, and if you're going to change up who that character is, people can look at it from an annoyed point of view instead of looking at it as a natural progression. You mm. know, it, it's always something that frustrates me as, as as a reader is that why people get held up in these things is beyond me. It doesn't negate everything that came before. All those runs are still there. All that stuff you love is still there. But why not try and take it the different direction as long as it's a natural progression, as you say, rather than shoehorned in. So, and it, and it sounds like it was certainly very successful at doing that.
1: I, I mean, I, I felt so there was there was definitely a danger, you know, with my my love and long history of the character, and especially from the Immortal Iron Fist run and such that that uh, that I could have been I could have fallen into that trap. Uh, but uh, but definitely um, the work that that uh, the new creative team have done on this new character has uh, has got me.
0: Yeah, I mean sometimes you have gotta give these things a chance as well. I mean, obviously I'm you know, I'm one of the world's biggest self proclaimed Batman fans, but you know, when Dick Grayson became Batman, it was great when, you know, we've had all the stuff with uh the next Batman with J.S. Fox and all this. That's been really good as well, but it doesn't negate everything that came before. Nope. So, you know, don't don't be afraid of change, people. Don't be afraid of change. <laughs> as long as it's earned change, of course.
1: <laughs> he says that with a Northern Irish election coming up in two weeks.
0: Well, we'll see about that. Uh, so yeah, so that is the 16th of February. So for Keith, it was Iron Fist number one was his pick of the week. So we'll we'll move straight along onto the 23rd of February, and this week uh, saw a little bit of a, a rise in titles for both of us. So I went up to 26. That was a total of 8DC, five Marvel, and <laughs> that is nearly ever in the winning out this week with 13 in the titles. Um what about yourself?
1: I uh, pipped you at the post there. I've got three more total. 29, uh, 5 DC, 10 Marvel, and again Indie coming in uh, top with 14.
0: Very, very strong Indie representation, as always. I mean, so it's no surprise then that my pick of the week was indeed an Indie book, and it was uh, from Image Comics, so Usually when I'm writing my notes and I I, I talk about what to, or I write down what I'm gonna write about or what I'm gonna talk about in the titles. I'll always put writer first, artist second, but I changed it around for this one. You know, this, this is a title called Step by Bloody Step. So brand new number one, Art by Matthias Bergara and the writer Sai Spurrier. So, you know, we I think this is something we may have talked about before in this very podcast and we've definitely chatted about it in the store. But I think it's amazing in the comics industry that the writer is predominantly still held above the artist. You know, maybe it's due to the fact that writers can churn out more titles and therefore have a wider body of work. You know, after all, a writer can write a page in a few minutes an artist will need a few hours or even a few days. But steps have definitely been taken to elevate the artist more. I see this more and more on Twitter with, you know, artist representation, making sure to tag artists and colorists and and everything in books. But, you know, step by bloody step it's a whole new beast and a whole new ball game in in terms of elevating the artist so so step by bloody step what's it about it's it's an armored giant and a helpless child you know together they they cross an astonishing world brimming with beasts bandits and deadliest by far civilizations if they stop walking the earth for itself forces them onwards why the child can't ask because she and her guardian have no language no memory nothing except each other so so what we have here amounts to a silent comic. You know, our our odd pairing can talk to each other, but they they communicate in many visual ways, whether it's with a, a hand gesture, a, a specific look, or by simply turning their back to show, you know, annoyance. And I find a comic like this, it can be quick to read, but I think if you breeze through it, you sort of miss the point. There's so much detail in the art. There are... There are specific layouts on the page for your eye to follow, a lot of thought has went into it, and as I said, it's for your eye to follow to grasp everything that's going on, there's emotion in every facial expression, and if anything I think I took more time over this opening issue than I did with comics this week filled with dialogue and captions. There is of course a story to follow that our creators are telling, but there's also the joy I think of filling in the blanks yourself, it, it veers on the edge of a create your own adventure at times, and while that may not be to everyone's taste, who maybe prefer the more traditional narrative presentation, I found it thrilling. You know, you you could create as much backstory for these characters as you like. You know, there are bound to be different interpretations of certain scenes, dependent on the reader themselves. So you sort of project yourself into it. You know. Step by steady, step by bloody step, it's an absolute triumph. You know, it's at its base level, it's another worldly story populated by weird and wonderful beasts and armored giants and unlikely allegiances and diverse environments. But, but it's also a profoundly human story. You know, in issue one, there's this very simple idea of giving life meaning by searching out beauty. In this case, a a beautiful flower. You know, how far do you go to preserve something beautiful, especially if our characters have different interpretations of beauty? You know, they come from different backgrounds. They have different, you know, tastes, different ideas. But throw on top of that the need to survive in this wide-open and dangerous world. You know, it it gives the story an intimate feel as well as an epic one. I think the balance is perfect. I, I think that there's so much to digest in issue one. And you get the sense the story and world will only grow and diversify with each issue. Everything here is nailed on perfect, from the scene direction to the artwork itself, and I thought there's really something special to this first issue. We could be looking at one of the most original and grossing stories of 2022. So uh, I know you came to this one a little later, didn't you? I did.
1: I came to it off the off the rack um at your at your recommendation. Well, no, I mean I think well, I mean I know I knew you were reading it. I think we talked about it at the time. I think I maybe just forgot to put it in my pull list was what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. As you say, very, very art driven, uh, and that you know, and what you said earlier on there about, uh, you know, how writers are often still held above artists. You are uh, very much in agreement with Mister Rob Liefeld, uh, who I knows about yours. Um, so uh, something he talks about a lot in, uh, in his observations podcast,
0: him being an artist uh, first and foremost, of course. I thought you were uh, going to say something he talks about a lot in his observations podcast himself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, fair, fair. Um, <laughs> but uh yeah i mean it was there was there were some mysteries in here as well posited mm-hmm. uh you know such as you know the the slightly uh horrifying identity of uh, what was under the armor mm-hmm. uh you know and a few other bits and pieces and that and 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 uh, you know uh, as you say we start to see uh what's going on a little more in the in the wider world uh you know but i'm i'm just really interested in you know clearly the the giant has a mission uh and and you know also the other thing is either either the little girl is growing up very quickly or a lot of time is passing i'm not sure which it is
0: yeah i always took uh, in the impression that the time was passing uh you know sort of showing the size and scale of the world but again that that's kind of the beauty of it you can have these different interpretations mm, it's not laid yeah. out for you so clearly there's no caption in the corner that says three years later or yeah, anything yeah, like yeah. that so that's, that's an interesting yeah. point
1: there is there's a there's a mystery to be solved here as well um uh, it just yeah it's absolutely uh it's absolutely brilliant uh the creative team in this who did you say again
0: uh Matthias bergara is the artist and that's uh-huh. on writing uh, size yes that's exactly why i picked it up yeah well that's it again it's you're probably bored listening to us saying it by now but it's always been a store mantra you know follow creators rather than rather than just story you know if you if you think there's a creator that does great work that you enjoy check out what else they have or you know what else they're about to release so so yeah that was my pick of the week for the 23rd of february step by bloody step number one and again we go from a brand new series to one that's very much uh far through its uh, far through its run would you say this is a series that's coming to an end soon or is it only going from strength to strength
1: well, uh, the series we're talking about is, is Iron Man 17. Uh, I don't think I've heard and...
0: you mention this title before.
1: <laughs> well, I have made no secret of my love for Christopher Cantwell's Iron Man title. And I know we joke about it, uh, that I do it just to wind up Tony Stark's Arch Enemy here in Alan, but uh, but that's just a marginal benefit of my appreciation <laughs> of what has been and, and continues to be a phenomenally good book, even 17 issues in its run, as you say, and... That's an appreciable run these days by anyone's standards, you know, and as I understand it, just, you know, as you as you mentioned, this current arc will end with 19. But the book is set to remain under Cantwell's watchful gaze beyond this arc. Um, I think uh, we had issue 20 solicited for 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 June uh, last month. Um, so so we'll stay with Cantwell and under the current numbering beyond this beyond this arc. So where we're at with it after defeating Corvac, Iron Man now has the power of cosmic. Uh, he is the Iron God, and uh, and he proceeded to bless everyone in New York with a vastly increased IQ, much like his own. I mean, as his self-control dwindles and the fallout of his actions increased, uh, Patsy Walker, Hellcat, uh, his constant companion on this journey so far, turns to Dr. Doom for help with Doom and, and the rest of the, the team from earlier in the series, uh, including a cosmically powered guest star that I believe even you will appreciate. Uh, with all of them on Hellcat's side, they only should plan to remove his godhood. And even with the assistance of, of that cosmic great, it may not be enough whenever the Iron God pays a visit. Um, so, after showcasing the ramifications of Tony's latest decision with the park, cosmic, include, you know, and the effects on, on New York City, uh, possibly the world, including unstable stock markets, an increase in theft, and a rise in megalomaniacs wanting to take over the world. The events of the issue culminate in a battle with his friends and foes uh, in equal parts. You know, it's a, it's a gorgeously executed super brawl and an emotional and often funny conversation between allies. And Christopher Cantwell makes us care about every D-lister in this ragtag bunch, uh, most of whom have had, been part of the story up until now. And so the inevitable conclusion to the battle is a real emotional iceberg that just that just hits you. Um, art is by Ibrahim uh, Robertson and Angelin Zouetta, and from, from both artists, it's stellar. Managing a large group of diverse characters without losing any of the detail of each and making both the Iron God and Doom, uh, who Cantwell is also well-acquainted with, look both stunning and, you know, that's perfectly complemented by Frank Demarta's colours throughout and, you know, the armour of both and also... I mean, I'll, I'll, the mystery being, of course, that the Silver Surfer is involved. Uh, you know, so so all of those three, you know, gleaming and glistening in the light. And, uh, you know, the colour sort of provides, I guess, a consistency that takes the sting out of the artistic variation in the issue. But, you know, while, you know, Cantwell's arc here has reached the pinnacle of, like, cosmic potential with, with Tony... Now you know having two doses of the car par cosmic enough that he can just end the silver surfer at will. Um, it very much remains a human story. You know that the, the sort of trajectory of Tony's story is is at its peak and and it's on its downward slope. Mirroring, I think that you know the stories of of addiction that have often been at the core of the Iron Man mythos. Uh, you know most famously, Demon in a Bottle. Uh, you know. All we can do is is sort of observe with fear and and sort of excitement through the the palpable tish, you know, tension as as we see the changes in Tony Stark, you know, eventually positioning himself in this issue as the omni-powerful villain of the piece. Not not so different from Karvac, uh, the, the villain that he's set out to fight. Uh, we know that he needs to be stopped. We know that he's all powerful and you know. The story just does a great job of showing why he needs to be stopped. Uh, this is just brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're doing your best to get me over to this book already by you know talking about it so much, but now you're telling me Silver Surfer's turning <laughs> up in it as well. I mean, it's, I feel like Camwell's starting to actually start singling me out here just to say. You really need, Nick Nick's Daredevil will be showing up and then I'm really in trouble. Uh, well, you know, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after the Alan. I think you're right there. Um, yeah, I mean, as you say, it's solicited as far as issue 20. I have the latest previews books just to my left. I was having a wee flick through there, but I couldn't see 21, so I kind of wondered if it was Ooh. maybe... I might just take a break after 20. It might be the usual sort of finish a story arc in 19. Then uh have an issue to wrap up, you know, what the status quo is, and then maybe it'll either come back or it'll be a 20-issue run, but... As you say, within the big two, a twenty issue run is is nothing to be sniffed at. You know that's mm-hmm. that's a commitment over a couple of years. You know with breaks in between arcs and stuff like that. So, you know he's obviously doing something right to have kept it going um, this long with such an unlikable is, character.
1: Well, if you say so. But this is actually <laughs> this has actually been one. You know it's going to be one nineteen issue story arc, a complete nineteen issue mm-hmm. story arc. Uh, you know so so that I mean that's interesting in itself. I know there's also an annual. Uh, Iron Man and Hellcat uh, which was in the June solicitations and then uh, issue 20 then in July so maybe that's I don't know or maybe sorry issue 20 in June and the, p- before that there was the, the Iron Man Hellcat uh, annual which follows on I think from after 19 so maybe, maybe that is it I don't know I'm not sure
0: Well I mean as you know I have a very big weakness these days for Omnibus so maybe that's the, the way to go if this run actually gets one
1: Mm hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Here's hoping it does.
0: So, yeah, that's 23rd of February then. So Man number 17 with Keith's pick of the week after mine being step by bloody step number one. So keep it moving sharply along. and We're into March already. Look at this. We are catching up like professionals. <laughs> so we're only two months behind now. So we're on to the 2nd of March. And again, the titles went up again this is a week-on-week thing here every time we talk about cutting our pull list down it seems to go up but mm-hmm. for me this week geez we both hit uh the end of the 30s here geez that's a big week so 30 titles in total for me so it was 9 dc 7 at marvel and as ever winning out was indy with 14 and once again you have pipped me at the post just slightly by one title i have 31 titles uh, Marvel uh, takes the
1: cake for me this uh, this month uh, with a massive sixteen Marvel titles. This must have been a, a double ship month of Marvel or something.
0: there must have been uh, something. I mean, Marvel yeah. don't normally release that amount of titles on one yeah, release Yeah, there must
1: have been yeah there must have been a holdover from a previous month or a previous week or something. Uh, so nine sixteen Marvel titles, nine indie
0: and six DC. So those are the totals then for the second of March. And what were the picks of the week? Well. Geez, I'm becoming predictable. So for me, it was <laughs> Batman Killing Time number one, written by Tom Keane, him again, and art by David Marquez. So we're only three weeks into our catch-up of picks of the week, and I'm already at my second title written by Tom Keane. So I think I deserve a promotion to a higher level in the cult of King. But once again, you know, for me, this is a title that knocks it out of the park, and it's a great example of everything that makes our main character special. You know, First up, the main reason I was so excited for this title was its use of classic villains. For me, Batman has, and again, it's just my humble opinion, the best rogues gallery in comics. You know, Spidey undoubtedly runs them close, and maybe even Daredevil. But the list is endless for great Batman villains to base a story around. And, and yet certainly going by James Tinian's most recent run, which I was a fan of, but I'll be honest, I'm not sorry to see new creators on it. There was a long period which was obsessed with creating new characters. You know, it was in Tinian's 30-plus issues alone, we had Punchline, The Underbroker, The Designer, Miracle Molly, Ghostmaker, The Gardener, Simon Saint, and perhaps a few others. And whether this was always a deliberate attempt to drum up sales by marketing these all-important first-appearance issues, I don't know. But maybe I'm just too cynical or something. But dammit, can we please just have a classic villains plotline? And... So that brings us to Batman killing time and it's and it's perfect timing as well, you know, just as the excellent Matt Reeves the Batman was hitting the cinema, we have a 6-issue mini series written by Tom King, expertly drawn by David Marquez which features just like the movie, the Riddler, Catwoman and the Penguin. And it's also a Batman story set in early earlier continuity, so it's sort it it's, keeps itself apart from everything modern and just focuses on telling a great story bloody So, So what's it about? So you've three villains, one dark knight, and a deadly heist gone wrong. You've got Catwoman, the Riddler, and the Penguin who need to join forces in order to pull off the greatest robbery in the history of Gotham. And their prize is a mysterious and priceless artifact in the secret possession of Bruce Wayne. But as the events unfold, what fun is a heist without a bloody double cross or two? So, the title itself I thought was so cinematic. Not just in its setup, but also its structure. You know, it doesn't and King rarely does this, it doesn't follow a linear path, you know, and instead opens with a heist. And then it's able to jump to different places at the same time and show what each individual character is up to. And because the criminals are working together and are in different places, Batman can't be everywhere at the same time and must pick and choose his moments of when the strike gets. It's a wonderful game of cat and mouse, or cat and bat if you will, and it gives the title a wonderful playfulness. The art as well is a perfect match for the material. I mean, David Marquez was for years a Marvel stalwart. He he came across, I think it was Batman Superman, was his first title with DC for quite some time with, with Joshua Williamson. Now he's starting to do a bit more. And, you know, I'd spoken earlier about how Tom Keane has the ability to pick and choose his artists, such as his reputation. And again, he comes up trumps here with Marquez. The art is beautiful. Each of the characters are classic in design with, with a little hint of moder- modern style as well. They all feel and move differently as well. It's little details. You know, Killer Croc is also in this story and, and, of course, is slower and heavier with his movements, whereas Catwoman is all stealth and slinky. You know, the Riddler even has a temper in this as well and not, and is not merely just a thinker and a planner. All in all, I just thought it was a fantastic first issue. And again And again, sometimes it's great to just step back in time and remember what makes these characters great instead of always being beholden to modern continuity and crossovers between books. You know, I may have been gutted at Supergirl ending, but another Tom Keaton title will always soften the blue. So yeah, Batman Killing Time number one for me, and it's a uh, full house for number ones this week. What was your pick of the week?
1: Uh, my pick of the week was the Fantastic Strange number one from Marvel Comics, uh, which was, as say, released on the, the the 2nd of March. And it follows on from Jed McKay's Fantastic Death of Doctor Strange uh, miniseries, and in this... We pick up the pieces in Jed McKay's new Strange Ongoing. Um, And during that miniseries, the the MU was was rocked in various ways when Dr. Stephen Strange was brutally murdered. Uh, Thanks to to a younger time lock, Stephen Strange, duplicate of sorts, the murder was solved. Uh, Dr. Strange was returned and uh, he and his, his, his allies turned back an invasion by by powerful magical forces on the earth dimension. Death, however, is not so easily assuaged. Uh, and Strange was taken back to the realm of death, but not before he did one last thing to protect his world. And that was giving his magical items and his power and his title to his estranged wife, Clea, the new Sorcerer Supreme. Strange. She is also Strange. Um, so she's the new Sorcerer Supreme uh, for the for the Earth realm, but she also remains the Sorcerer Supreme for the Dark Dimension, which is where she was 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 currently the Sorcerer Supreme for. So, I mean, Clea is is probably a character that many will not know, or at least not know well, uh, as she's been fairly absent from the Doctor Strange mythos for for quite a few years. But the craftsman behind Black Cat and Moon Knight. Breathes such life into these characters uh, as he's done so ably across other titles these past few few months and and a couple of years that after this first issue, there's every chance that you'll go from not knowing who Clea is to absolutely loving her, uh, and be ready to join her on her on her journey and her mission. Um, Clea is a strong, you know, sassy individual with easy power, firm determination. With a with a bit of a side dish of vulnerability and honesty about her situation uh, and her goals and a real good sense of humour, uh, and that's it's just it's just a one in combination for a character. I mean, watching Clea utterly verbally destroy Doctor Doom, <laughs> it's just you know it's it's worth it's worth picking up the comic for that. But also there's some great moments between herself and Wong and herself and and uh, Stephen Strange's Ghost Dog Bats, but. Clea is the Sorcerer Supreme of the dark dimension and any code against killing that Stephen Strange has is tossed out of the window. And it's really refreshing to watch her tear into her foes and more refreshing by the fact that it's Marcello Ferreira uh, on art uh, last seen in these realms of magic uh, with the recent death of Doctor Strange, Spider-Man one shot, uh, the tie in issue. But like that issue, you know, his work on the first issue of strange, you know, has a lot of great, you know, magical special effects and emotion that builds upon Jed McKay's character work uh, perfectly captures the body language and the facial expressions as well. It's been really fun, you know, so on one hand, there's, there's a load of detail at work, but on the other hand, the focus isn't necessarily on that detail. It's on, it's on the character and the, the emotion you know and and our and focus never leaves the character which is exactly how Jed McKay does things you know in Midnight and and uh, and some of his other really fantastic uh, series and and one shots so so yeah it's just it's it's just brilliantly a, a brilliant brilliantly complimentary team i think so overall i mean without going too deeply into the story strange number 1 was a fantastic establishing issue great new exotic new locations Uh, and a new adversary uh, introduced in the the Harvestman and we get a couple of big surprises and you know Clea is just as I mentioned an absolutely fantastic delightful character all barbs and bravado throughout and there's some real I think potential for fantastic character development for Clea for Wong for Bats and and the the world that Jed McKay is creating for her to live in and to, to 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 undertake is just is just brilliant. You know, this issue where we're introduced to the you know the the magic side of, of New York in a in a market, a magic market, a mart that uh that Wong introduces her to it makes you wonder why he's just introducing it now, given he's been he's been Strange's companion for so long, you know, Steven's companion. But all in all in, all in one this you know this is just Jed McKay continuing his march to greatness at Marvel.
0: Well, it's good to hear such positive things. I have the first two issues in my box. I haven't uh, indulged just yet, but it's interesting that, you know, just as I was... My first week and my third week were two Tom King titles. Your first and your third week here were both titles with uh, new successors to the role, but told in an organic and interesting and natural way, I suppose.
1: That is a very interesting observation, Mr. Taylor. I hadn't noticed that myself. Um, <laughs> I but have yeah, my moments. I have yeah, my moments. There, there you go. Maybe, maybe I'm just... Uh, I'm looking, I'm on the lookout for something fresh but familiar.
0: Yeah, and then I can see looking further ahead in our notes that there's another title where it was another successor, but, you know, that's in a another different way as well. But we will get to that as well. So, so yeah, so Keith's pick of the week there. Second of March was Strange at number one, which followed my Batman Killing Time at number one. So, keeping this train moving, we move along then to the 9th of March. So, Titles took a little bit of a dip this week, uh, not surprising, giving the rather large amount the week before, but I actually come out on top for the first time, only took me four attempts, uh, <laughs> so 23 titles total for me, so that was five DC single issues, five Marvel single issues, Indy of course winning with 12 in uh, single issues, but I also had an omnibus this week, which was Howard the Duck by Chip Zdarsky and Joe Quinonez, and what about yourself, what was your total? Uh, as you say,
1: you you came out on top this week. I'm three behind you with 20 titles in total. Uh, 12 of those are Marvel, uh, so that massive. Another Marvel, massive Marvel week for me, uh, and uh, four DC and four indie. Plus, I also had six DC back issues. I can't remember what they were. Uh, I know was know
0: exactly it, what they were. Can you it, remember? It was, was it, Night of the Men.
1: Yes, two Nightwing issues to to finally uh, fill complete my that Nightwing run for me, the, the rebirth run, wasn't it? And uh and uh was there four, there so was four it was, part, Batman of a, issues. It was yeah. part
0: of a it was a six issue crossover called Night of the Monster Men. So that's what it was. What had actually happened was interestingly enough is I had recently bought a big comic lot and it had these issues in it. So I put it together as a pack, the two Batman issues, two Detective Comics issues and two Nightwing issues. And the Nightwing issues are tricky to get in their own for whatever reason, maybe low print run, I'm not sure, but Somehow we were chatting about it in store and you were saying about like, oh, geez, I'll get these two issues one day. So I just broke open the pack and just said, "Look, take them, I'll put the other ones in the single issue bays." But, you know, my devious plan clearly worked as you just went, ah, oh, sure, give me those as well.
1: Well, it's a complete story. So. It is, it is. You know. So
0: it's, uh, but no, it was great for you to finish off that wee rebirth run. I mean, when it comes to Nightwing, I suppose you've got everything from the very start now, don't you? I know that you've got the new 52 stuff in omnibus form and yes. Grayson in uh-huh. omnibus form, but... Everything else, you're single issue, aren't you? Yeah, I'm. The only thing I'm
1: missing now is um, from from Nightwing's ongoing. I think it's a, There's a Wizard issue,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, Nightwing Nightwing half or something. I can't remember, but I think that's the only thing.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, that. And I also am keen to get a hold of uh, Nightwing's uh, premiere issue for in in uh, New Teen Titans
0: indeed first appearance of nightwing a, a little grill to finish it all off
1: yeah that would just be a nice way you know get that get it in the slab that would just be nice
0: excellent Know what to get you for your next birthday <laughs> so going on to then what were the picks of the week for this week so we're in a little bit of a mirror dimension for this one as for mm-hmm. me it is marvel and for me it's another number one which also you know ever since i moved away from uh the last issue of Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, I seem to be all about the first issues for my my picks of the week. So, this week, as I said, it was Marvel, and for me, it was Punisher number one. So, written by Jason Aaron, art is uh, two artists sharing duties here, which is Paul Azaketa and Jesus Says and you know, there's, there's been a lot of stop-start moments in getting a Punisher title back onto the spinner racks. Oh, God, that makes me sound old, spinner racks. Uh, you know, <laughs> we had an Ed Brisson. Your th- racks in the store don't even spin. I tell you, I need to They're get. They're on us. the wall. Do I need a spinner rack? So Probably. A, 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 a spinner rack that just says at the top, hey kids, comics. Hey kids, comics. And it can be all image firsts and true believers number ones and stuff. I think we're onto something here. I think we're on something, yep. Stay tuned. Uh, but yeah, no, with Punisher, I mean, as I say, there's been a lot of stop-start moments. So, you know, we had an Ed Brisson Declan Shelby five-part miniseries shelved perhaps indefinitely. And there hasn't actually been an ongoing series since Matthew Rosenberg's frankly brilliant 16-issue run, which concluded back in 2019. And... A lot of this is down... See what you did there? Frankly, brilliant. Oh, yeah. I, that, was a, that was a fortunate accident. <laughs> but I think what that is mostly put down is, to, is the real world is a very different place now, not right now. And after numerous unfortunate real world incidents, including police brutality cases where officers had the Punisher Skull in their squad cars, I think Marvel had been hesitant to reintroduce Frank Castle back into the universe. You know, the for this series coming back, the Skull has been redesigned, and now instead of carrying a small arsenal... The Punisher is proficient with a sword. Now, we can argue the idea of a sword somehow being less violent than a handgun some other time, but, you know, is the new Punisher series worth getting behind? And the answer is a resounding yes. I mean, you know, it's coming from the pen of Jason and I guess we shouldn't be too surprised. I know you've spoken very highly of his Avengers run now. It's never really done much for me, but looking at what he's done with maybe more slightly adult-focused titles such as King Conan, Conan the Barbarian, Thor, and now Punisher means that, you know, if his name is attached to a brand new number one then i'm definitely going to give it a go and you know thankfully jason iron doesn't try to make the punisher into any kind of sympathetic character here or make him more straightforwardly heroic In punisher number one he makes frank castle into a killer unbound In in this setup frank castle no longer utilizes stealth and kills people from the shadows using patched up old or stolen weapons Frank Castle is now a part of the Hand and as a result has access to resources in the form of trained killers who are ordered to do whatever he tells them to. But what could have possibly convinced Frank that this is a good path to follow? You know, what is in it for him? The answer in the last few pages may surprise you quite a bit. I think the dual artist setup works really well in this oversized first issue as well. You know, one artist handles the flashbacks and the other deals with the modern day storyline. And I think they're equally proficient in showing the uber-violence we've come to expect from a Punisher title, with lots of hard-hitting imagery and stylish action as well. You know, there is obviously a very big shift in direction for the Punisher in this issue, and it's clear that the creative team have put a lot of thought into who he is now in the modern world, what he represents and where he's going. You know, as a reader, I haven't a clue where we're going from here, but I think we're really good hands either way. I thought this was a, a really, really strong number one.
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean... Has has something not occurred to you? And what's that? That uh, Electra and Matt are on their way to uh, to to take down the Hand, and the Punisher is now the prime killer of the Hand.
0: This is why we have you on this podcast. <laughs> Steer me in the right Marvel direction. It's a fair point. I hadn't put two and two together just yet, but Punisher number two has hit this week, so maybe there'll be more direction than that. Yeah. But but yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, Daredevil and Punisher have been longtime frenemies at this point. So, you know, sometimes teaming up for the greater good, sometimes diametrically opposite uh, in their belief systems and so forth. I always loved early on in the Chips Adarski run where that, that cover where Daredevils were wearing the Punisher t-shirt. It's just awesome. Mm-hmm. Great, yeah. great imagery. So, yeah, I mean... I think we've always said it. I think Marvel it's something they definitely do better than DC is that the crossover titles and the continuity maybe matching up. So if that is the direction they're going in, Jason Aaron and Zdarsky, what two better guys could you have in charge uh, of that?
1: That'll be an interesting combination if they if they do end up going down that. And now you've thought about it,
0: I'm like, <laughs> they can't go they can't go anywhere else. <laughs> Coming soon this November. Punisher, Daredevil, collision course. <laughs> idea presented to them by Keith Miller written by Chip Zdarsky and Jason Aaron. but yeah Punisher number one I thought was great It was. it's good to have a Punisher title back on the racks and it's it instantly shot up our pull list numbers uh, for it it's it's probably in the top five of the Marvel pulls I think people were looking for a Punisher title to come back and everyone who picked up number one has stayed with it so yeah you know onwards and upwards for Punisher so my pick mm-hmm. of the week Punisher number one so uh, what about yourself what is it for the 9th of March
1: uh, I as you say, this is a, this is murder dimension uh, compared to the rest of our, our podcast where I was a, a marvel stalwart. so I'm uh, flipping over to the the dark side here uh, as I, I uh, pick a DC title and uh, not a number one or the end of a, a run, something right bang in the middle uh, and that is Superman, Son of Kalel, number nine. And you know I, I would say if you want to sit down with with a book that is one of the finest examples of what you can do in the medium, uh, Superman, Son of kal number nine may well be it. And, you know, to be fair, I don't think Tom Taylor ever really has missed on this title. Uh, but if you want to improve upon the experience, what do you do? You team the lead character up with the only other Tom Taylor pen character that's succeeding this one, and that's Nightwing. Uh, and that's exactly what uh, what they've done here for uh, for the, the, the Nightwing, Son of kal crossover. And from the action-packed beginning to the the moment of failure in the middle, to the hero bonding at the end. Uh, Tom Taylor nails every single beat, uh, and you know that. The, the, while the Son of kal book has been great up to this point, I think this issue really was above and beyond, uh, and it's just a great way to write a crossover. Because if you look at the two issues, this and Nightwing number eighty nine, the first part of the story in Nightwing eighty nine, the beginning of the issue sort of nearly feels like a continuation of, which it is of, you know, of Nightwing. And then in this book, it's a continuation of that book, but the, the narration changes from Dick's narration to John's narration, uh, you know, it becomes part of John's book. It is, you know, this book has all the, the hallmarks and the, the things we've come to expect from an issue of, of Nightwing, you know, the dynamic action, the visual gags, the whole the whole main yards. And then halfway through it, the tone shifts and it becomes a Superman book. <laughs> and it, it's a great way of doing it because probably not everyone read Nightwing is is on this, uh, you know. And if that's not the case, then you know Tom Taylor sort of just sort of eases the Nightwing fans in uh, and then hooks them with, you know, look at look at what this book's about, uh, you know. And you can't you can't really do that as well in most crossovers because they're not always written by the same writer, but it's a, an absolutely fantastic way to do it. And it also, you know, the, 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 the issue of Superman, Son of kal builds on the plot that's currently ongoing and Son of kal while the last issue built on the plot of Nightwing didn't take them away from their, their core plots. We have, we have Dick invest in some of his fortune that was given to him by Alfred and in, in the, the truth, uh, the, the online, um, uh, you know, news blog, uh, which I absolutely loved. We have him convincing Lois to join the Truth to give it some legitimacy. Uh, we reveal more about Luther and, and Bendix and what they're working at together, and uh, we bring a whole new aspect to the the battle between John and Bendix. I mean, all in all, it's a great crossover comic that actually makes a difference to the to both books that it's taken part in. You know, and I mean, that's the that's the, the core goal of a crossover, you know, it's to, to draw fans from one book to another. And I'm sure that this will, this will, they'll do exactly that. But, um, but yeah, the, 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 obviously with Tom Taylor writing it, there's, there's just some great, great character moments, great poignant moments and a moment of failure in the middle of third of us. This, this book is just classic Tom Taylor done so, so well. We, you know, we reveal, John's vulnerability when you know he's referring to the five years that he was lost in space and 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 Bendis's run, uh, and he admits to Dick the whole time. I was there, I just kept hoping somehow that you'd find me again, and uh, you know that just shows the the impact, the powerful impact that Nightwing had on the young John ken and you, you sometimes forget that he's, you know, he's still a kid. Uh, you know, he's a kid, but he's a Superman, you know. And, uh, you know, it, it shows the powerful impact that Nightwing had on him in their first meeting, which was shown in the first part of the crossover, of course, where Dick, who is the circus performer, has become the symbol of hope for John, you know, the who who is the literal Superman, you know, a su- circus performer and a Superman, uh, you know. And, you know, unfortunately, that hope wasn't realized during John's exile. But, you know, Dick tells him, I'm sorry I didn't find you, but I'm here now. And that's just that's just Nightwing. He's just he's just that's why that's why Nightwing is is the heart of the DC universe, you know. So the way that the way that Tom Taylor positions Dick as, you know, a big brother to John is is fantastic. Maybe even more so than the relationship between himself and Damien. Uh and you know, allows us to see even more about about the young hero that we've been following through this series and you have John doubting himself as a hero, as he often does, and Dick lets him know that he's he's not alone because, you know, Dick has, has failed and stood up again, you know, so it's, it's a really poignant moment that I think speaks to anyone who has their own feelings of, of maybe self-doubt and inadequacy in any part of life. And, uh, you know, Taylor just continues to write both of these characters just with the most fantastic heart, uh, which is just a hallmark of what he does. We also have incredible action, great dialogue, uh, you know, so much emotion on every page. Um, and of course, going beyond how well written the issue is, is the art. Uh, Redondo, Bruno Redondo's penciling is, you know, it's 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 great. It's not necessarily overly complicated, you know, with regard to details and environments, but it just does a wonderful job of of capturing the character's expressions. Uh, he's also one of the best action artists in comics right now. Ah, uh, the way he does things, especially when he's drawn Nightwing, he understands Nightwing as a character, how he moves, the the joy that that Nightwing takes in that movement, you know, um, and he he does an equally great job on on Superman, um, you know, and and, and also on the quiet parts, you know, with with uh, John and and Dick talking, uh, just shows how great as as art really is, you know. So just a really great example of of how how brilliant a crossover can be, with the bonus of having a you know a great. Creative team, um, you know Taylor just doing a fantastic job in both his titles. You know, with his trademark heart and warmth, uh, you, you really shouldn't miss either issue of this uh, of this crossover or any issue of either of these titles, for that matter.
0: That's a really, really wonderful way of picking the latest issue of Nightwing without actually picking the latest issue of Nightwing. <laughs> that was expertly done. Just, just so Why? we. Do- just so we don't come across as too repetitive by picking Nightwing every single time. But yeah, there's always a reason for that. I mean, I, I love the fact that it was Bruno Redondo doing both issues. I thought yeah. that made it, made it really cohesive. It was a really smart move. I mean, Redondo one of the best around at the moment. I mean, there was a story on Twitter last week that Tom Taylor was circulating about you know, we wanted to try and take the pressure off Bruno, and you know he's drawn so much at the moment. So we sent him some ideas for simple covers, and then he would send back what he did. He went no, I'm good because he's just having the time of his life drawing Nightwing mm-hmm. and coming up with all these inventive things. I mean, there was a particular page spread I wanted to to focus on from this issue, and it's where these members of the Rising catch up with Dick on a rooftop. Uh, And first of all, you've got the the stereotypical, you know, the the typical Dick Grayson humor. You know, they say to him, you can't run. He goes, I really can. Half of it is cardio. (laughs) But he flips up using his... You were saying that Redondo really understands Dick Grayson's movements. He always pencils him and draws him as the acrobat, which is exactly what it should be. And he flicks his way on top of a building. But then all of the action the way it's laid out on the page is 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 in the interior of the building it's just really clever use of space and it leads to like one of the most heroic moments of the issue because this this cabal of you know villains throw nightwing over the edge and they're like do you want to see him hit the ground of course and then you turn the page boom superman's caught him flying up punches those guys so the the this team just works together brilliantly i mean I don't want them to not do Nightwing, but I'd love to see them do other stuff as well because they're just a great team. Even down to the fact that the two covers are a connecting cover as well. It's just everything about this little crossover is brilliantly thought out. Again, ton of heart, ton of humor, and as you say, it just shows not every crossover has to be six, eight, ten issues to make an impact. It's a simple two issue crossover. Yeah, but yeah, it, it it elevates both titles and pushes both plots forward as well.
1: Yeah, exactly that. And you know that that exact scene that you're you're talking about, you know, with with uh, Superman rising, having caught Nightwing, I just thought this is more world's finest than world's finest.
0: Well, it, we'll get to that at a later date. Um, <laughs> you know, what? Uh, <laughs> it's made it's, a triumphant you know, return recently as well. <laughs> certainly,
1: certainly has. But you know, seeing seeing the son of the son of Superman and you know the son of Batman, effectively, uh, you know, is more. I thought that was more even. You know, maybe more words finest than than yeah. seeing uh than seeing Damien and, and uh and John together as kids.
0: No, oh, that's fair. That's definitely fair. But yeah, just great stuff, great choice as ever. I mean, just as we you know, we, we do sometimes just circle back to the same creators all the time, but there is a reason for that. These guys are at the very top of their game and they're consistently putting out great, great work. So yeah, great choice, Superman son of Kalil number nine as a pick of the week for the ninth of March. So we'll keep it moving on and do our last week that we're going to be covering in this particular podcast, and that is going to be the 16th of March. So for me this week it was uh a dead heat with last week, so it was 23 titles in total. So I had seven DC uh single issues, two Marvel DC uh, two Marvel single issues. That's a quad Marvel week. The usual busy indie week with fourteen. And then I had a couple of trade-slash-hardcovers. I had an Absolute Edition, which was Absolute Swamp Thing by Alan Moore, Volume 3. And I had one trade paperback, which was All Nighter. That is a Chip uh, It was a Comicsology original, uh, but now it's been put into graphic novel print along with Jason Liu on art. So that was me. What about yourself? What were your tools?
1: Uh, I was one behind you with 22 titles in total, say that three times fast, and it was a fairly even spread. Uh, I had eight DC, uh, seven Marvel,
0: and seven Indie. Sweet, sweet. So, unsurprisingly, with that sheer amount of indie titles I had, it's no surprise that my pick is an indie title, and it is Stillwater Escape number one. This was a one-shot, written by Chip Zdarsky, series creator and guests, and art by Raymond K. Perez, also co-creator and other guest artists as well, and I literally just said it about two minutes ago. We keep highlighting the same writers for a reason. <laughs> and here we go again, Chip Zdorsky. So, yeah, these I find that these one-shots, they've becoming, they're becoming more commonplace for what I would describe as as premium image series. You know, Undiscovered Country has a one-shot. Geiger had a one-shot. And now we come to Sidorsky and Perez as Stillwater. And, you know, whisper quietly, it may just be one of the very best issues of this series. You know, Stillwater... The, the, it's always been about the poison chalice that is everlasting life, you know is it everything it's cracked up to be especially when you're, you're essentially frozen at a certain age, you know, never to mature at least physically anyway past that point so with this one shot we have guest creative teams who are uh, telling stories of those who dared to leave or at the very least attempted to leave Stillwater and spoiler alert, it does not end very well for most of them, so it's told through a great framing device of well known characters from the series sitting around a campfire sharing stories and legends they've heard over the years. You know, they tell tales of would be escapism attempts, which feature a family, a young gay man, and a couple all trying to sneak out of Stillwater so they can rediscover some sort of sense of normalcy and also natural aging. And. With this being an anthology format and following different characters at different times, you know, it would be impossible to imbue enough depth into their situations and personalities for us to fully care about the characters. But that doesn't mean that the stories themselves lack power or horror, you know, they they perfectly illustrate how monotonous life in Stillwater can become. Especially to the point where escape, however dangerous that may be, is the only option. I think that the stories themselves, they reinforce the true horror of the series, you know. We've already seen people buried alive in Stillwater. We've seen people lose limbs only for them to grow back. You know, real harrowing pain in this series doesn't come from physical wounds or torture because they'll always heal, but rather from a mental point of view, you know, boredom, repetition, lack of control, lack of accomplishment or long-term goals. You know, these characters are granted something that, you know, so many seek only to find it falls well short of what they expected. The one thing that is a negative, I will say, is going into this one shot, I didn't actually realize the next arc of Stillwater will be its last. Uh, uh. I think it's been an absolutely fantastic series. It'll be interesting to see if the if that theme I talk about of mental pain versus physical pain will carry right through to the finale. Or if there truly is going to be an escape from the town and its curse. A little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, perhaps. We'll wait and see. But with the main creative team, again, of Zdarsky and Perez, we know we're in good hands. So... Yeah, absolutely brilliant one shot I thought, and it really just added depth and elevated the series a little bit more.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly that. The background, you know, it was a really, a really good framing sequence for the, you know, for a bunch of background stories, as you said, to add depth to, to the story as it continues. I was a wee bit gutted today whenever you told me that you related to me that news. Uh, you know, as we were as we were just getting prepped for 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 the podcast and whatnot uh, earlier on in the shop. Clearly, eighteen um, issue
0: runs are the way to go. You know, seven secrets ending in eighteen, Stillwater ending in eighteen.
1: Well, makes a nice wee hard, makes a nice wee cover, doesn't it? it does yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So when we got Once in the Future coming in end Shortly as well, isn't yeah,
0: that right? It's uh, mm-hmm. coming to an end. 30 issues, yeah, mm-hmm. through Boom Studios as well. So some of our favourite series are coming to an end, but it's not like, as we have perfectly illustrated through this pod, there aren't plenty of new titles and new number ones that fill those voids. So, still, what are the escape? Number one was my pick of the week for 16th of March. What was yours?
1: Uh, for me, reverting to type again, back to Marvel. It has been a fairly Marvel-heavy month for me, I have to say, apart from that we divergence into, into DC. Uh, but... Avengers fifty four uh, is my pick, uh, and I've been loving Jason Aaron's Avengers since issue fifty, which was a, a brilliant jumping on point, and uh, uh, I'm keeping it going uh, with the, the finale of this this arc, uh, and this is the Death Hunters uh, story arc, uh, and I say Jason Aaron on uh, on writing duties and one for Gary on fantastic on fantastic art, and the art is a good, you know. Sixty percent of why this uh, this particular issue made it made it up my list in a, in a very very hard week. So I mean, the Avengers have really been leaning hard into the the craziness of the the multiverse as they're under attack from the multiversal masters of evil, and I seem to be getting a fairly serious see into. Um, because why the multiversal masters of evil, some fantastic characters, including Kid Thanos and um, Doom Supreme, wearing the uh, wearing the armor that's made of, the skin of a skin of a previous lover. Uh, we have um, Killmonger in the Destroyer armor, and, uh, and a, a, a Dark Phoenix, and two Hounds in the form of a Wolverine and a Thor. Uh, there's some really cool stuff going on here, but um, while they're fighting as a team, uh, the Avengers really, really are not. Um, and the, the issue sort of opens with Captain Marvel and Starbrand uh, and Captain America rushing to, to, to the uh, Avengers mountain, to, to help their fellow Avengers and then the Thor and Phoenix from another dimension attack, and you know, you've you've got uh Arthur is is really struggling with the 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 fact that the Phoenix may or may not be his mother, uh which is not something uh, you know he expected obviously his, his mother being uh you know the, the goddess of the earth, uh Gaia and that as far as he was concerned. But as a result, Thor has been resisting uh, the Phoenix of the, the 616 universe, uh, uh, which has, has possessed Echo um, and is, uh, has been refusing to fight alongside her. But uh, it comes to the point that, that Thor has to get to grips with the fact that uh, that he has to fight alongside her. And it, it's just a real nice moment, you know, seeing them come together and, and, and bond. And I'm really interested to see where, where stuff goes from there. Um, the, the the meat of the issue is you know it is it is the final issue of the arc, but it, it's definitely a, a plot thickening sort of a story. The heroes don't necessarily come out victorious. They definitely sort of hit some goals. Uh, they manage to save the final deathlock that's been sent by Avenger Prime to 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 help them stop the multiversal masters of evil. And there's a lot of callbacks to to previous stories and Jason Aaron's run and, and beyond that and some stuff that's really cool to keep track of if you're a, if you're a marvel head and you know characters like one of my favorites Valkyrie get some great moments and, and and some some development and we we see the beginnings of the coming together of a of a ragtag group of uh, of avengers including uh prince namor uh, and valkyrie which is which is kind of cool to see um, you know that said the bad guys I say the bad guys don't get absolutely defeated you know they achieve a goal as well uh you know they're they're so this definitely while well, this is the end of the story arc this is this is definitely not the end of of what's going on here um and as i say one for gary's art is just really cool supplying some fantastic uh you know really action-packed dramatic four color comic book moments you know with with the the Avengers mountain, which is inside the the corpse of a a dead celestial, which I think is going to become quite important in the Avengers X-Men Eternals uh, crossover. It's ready to crush our heroes. And, you know, we're seeing those moments of the heroes, you know, holding the mountain together and holding it up off them, you know, real classic comic book stuff, you know, and it just really feels like it's like there's, there's real, uh, you know, kinetic energy in it, despite the fact, of course it is, you know, static, static energy. You know, so, so yeah, great ending to to the arc that started in, in in issue fifty, and you know, gave us the first taste of the multiversal masters of evil. Doesn't go as far as giving us a you know a, a, a final conclusion there, and we have our heroes, you know, uh, re, re, recouping to to nurse their to nurse their wounds and make their plans. Uh, and no doubt, there's there's future action-packed uh, stuff to happen, whether it's here or in Avengers forever or in the upcoming Avengers 1 million BC. Uh, so it is an open-ended sort of an issue um, but Jason Aaron just is is great at writing these these characters throughout the issue. One for Gary Luke makes it look look brilliant and and even the quietest moments are, are sort of entertaining. Um, so yeah, really really still loving still loving Avengers, loving the character, the art, the character moments uh, and overall the, you know just the metal Action of the whole thing, even if it if it doesn't quite you know finish. So uh, my recommendation would still be jump on at issue fifty and uh, and power on through.
0: Yeah, I mean you've been complimented Avengers now for several months. It's been your pick of the week quite a few times, I think, or mm. at least in the honourable mentions section. And you know, I I think certainly at the at the beginning, Avengers was just sort of floating on by under Jason Aaron a little bit, maybe treading water a wee bit. But it seems to have very much hit its stride in the last maybe what ten issues, fifteen issues. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. certainly. I'd certainly give it from issue 50, Uh, certainly. So the last five issues for sure that, you know, that big, you know, Avengers 50, 750, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, which had some great, uh, it was just a great, great chunky issue, you know. And uh, yeah, even before that, you're right. World War She-Hulk was fantastic as well. Uh, So I think, I do think Jason Naran has got a stride here and uh, more part to him for it.
0: Yeah. Well, that brings it as far as issue 54 anyway, and it shows no sign of slowing down under Jason Iron. So, uh, yeah, as I say, we, we do just looking back over our choices there. I mean, from the five weeks, you know, two Tom King tiles, Chip Arsky mentioned, Christopher Camwell mentioned, Tom Taylor mentioned, Jason Iron mentioned. I mean, again, these are all creators that we love. And again, we we emphasize the idea of following creators as much as possible because you will find some great, great stuff. Uh, as we no doubt did through that time as well. So that finishes off the pod for this episode. That was Avengers 54, Keith's pick of the week, 16th of March. So we are going to be back very, very soon and follow a very similar format to continue to get caught up. uh, We're halfway through March now. We'll look at getting towards the middle, maybe end of April in the, the next podcast we'll be recording. But we'll also be putting out a previews one as well. So keep an ear out for that. So as ever... Many thanks to my co-host and cohort Keith. Uh, always fun chatting comics, and you know, the only danger of these things is now I want to go back and reread some of them when I have enough to, new stuff to read. <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely, and I am—I am I'm glad I held on through that uh, through that Nightwing review because I was—I was, I was always tearing up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, Tom Taylor! You're doing it all the time. We should have noted it. We should have noted it even going back as far as Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man Six. All those wonderful years ago oh so, yes man it's knows fantastic. how to tug at the heartstrings yeah, so yeah so anyway that's it for guys i hope you enjoyed this again any titles catch your fancy just get in touch with the store or pop in some may be hitting trades soon some may be trades for you to get caught up although we, we still will be able to get a lot of those single issues for you as well as i say a lot of number ones there and on starting points so hope this proved useful hope you enjoyed it thanks for listening and we'll look forward to seeing you next time so I've been Alan Taylor and this has been Keith Miller.
1: You can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes and on Twitter where Alan is at Coffee and Heroes 1 and I'm a scannison00. Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop, coffee shop and community hub in Northern Ireland based at Smithfield
0: Market in the centre of Belfast. You can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well